Well, today is Mother's Day, and, and it's a time to think about the impact that our moms have had in our lives, uh, and sometimes other people in our lives who have filled that spot of a mother figure, a mothering role, and, and hopefully also a little bit of time to think about how are we caring for others in the body of Christ? How are we, we reaching out and being family to others? I'm not going to be preaching on mothers this morning. Uh, we, we tend to pick a book and kind of work through it. And so we're going to keep going in the book of 1 Thessalonians. However, we are going to be talking a lot about loving and caring for one another, which has, I think, a lot of crossover to Mother's Day. So I want to start with a question. Don't answer it out loud, but you can answer it in your mind. What does it mean to truly love someone? What does it mean to truly love someone? So we're talking today about putting love in action. We need to know what it means to really love someone. I believe that our world's definition of love would be something along the lines of unconditional acceptance and affirmation of every, everything that someone else believes or desires for themselves. I think that's a, a kind of a working definition in our world today, an unconditional acceptance or affirmation of everything someone else believes or desires for themselves. And, and it looks pretty good on the outside. In certain instances, it, it looks like, okay, I, I love you. I'm just going to affirm what you want. But there are situations where that love, that definition of love starts to break down. If you are a parent of a toddler or a young child and that toddler wants to play in the street, suddenly affirming their desire and their choice does not look very loving. Mommy, daddy, I want to go out into the street and kick the ball. And if you live on a busy street, would it be loving to say, well, if that's what you want, then I affirm that that's what you want. And we just Send them out into the street to play. I hope most of us would say, wait a minute, that's not loving. In fact, a good parent, in a loving way, would say, no. No, I'm going to put a boundary on that because that's not good for you. Let's find another way to do this. And I think in general, we understand that there are some things that people desire, some ideas, some beliefs that are harmful to people. I think that's generally accepted in our world. The question is this, who gets to decide? Who sets what is harmful and what is helpful? What is loving and what is not loving? And today we're going to go to scripture to understand what love is as defined by God. If God created us, and he loves us, then he becomes our standard of love, and he has communicated to us in his word what love is. And so we want to go to God's word and learn what is love, and specifically what is love in action. And we're going through this letter of First Thessalonians in a series called Faith Out Loud. Paul went to this city in Thessalonica, and he planted this church, shared the gospel, preached, spent a little bit of time with them, but then he had to leave. A lot of persecution rose up. His life was in danger. The lives of those around him were in danger. He had to flee the city. People from Thessalonica that were trying to undermine his ministry follow him to the next city. He ends up having to flee that city. So he's writing this letter from a long way away. 
And he longs to go back and he's worried. What happened to these people? I was there. They became a church. They became Christians. But what happened to them? And so we see, or we saw, if you've been here, the first couple chapters, Paul's heart for them. And then eventually he sends this guy named Timothy, young guy. He was probably late teens, early 20s. Probably had only been a Christian for a couple months or maybe a year or so. And he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. So we looked last week at why he sent Timothy, what his hope was. This week, we're going to pick it up with the report that Timothy brings back. And we're, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because it's a lot of themes we've already talked about. We're going to spend the majority of our time in the last three verses of chapter three and what it looks like to have true Christian or biblical love in action. So that's what we're, where we're going to spend our time. And would you do something with me. Let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on this because this is hard. This is going to confront some things in us, I think, in each one of us, and we need need the Lord's help with that. So let's pray. Father, I pray, open our hearts and minds to your truth today. May we be willing to read what you say, accept what you say, submit to what you say, as you confront things that maybe we've accepted as normal or natural or typical, help us to align ourselves to the truth of your word. And first and foremost, thank you for your love for us through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So open up, if you haven't already, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We are going to start in verse 6. And as we look at this topic of love in action, Paul starts by responding to Timothy's report. And one of the things that really, actually two things that stand out to me, is that Paul has joy for them because of their faith, and he has concern for them that they keep on growing in their faith. And I think that's a good example of love in action, that we find joy in other people that we love and what God is doing in their lives, but we also have concern for them. We want to see them keep on growing. So, as I said, Thessalonica was a tough city for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were a lot of people that didn't want people to become Christians. There were a lot of people very vocal about that. Paul knows that persecution had broken out against the church, and he was concerned what was going on. And now Timothy has come and given him the report. So let's read Paul's response to Timothy's report. I'll start in verse 6 and just read down through verse 10. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So just to touch on a few things quickly here. Paul's heard about their faith and love, not just, hey, they're doing well, things are going great, you know, they're having good days, but specifically about their faith. They are trusting in Christ and their love. They're living this out in the church. And he's also heard that they still love Paul and long to see him again. Now, that might not seem like much, but we've looked in previous passages that some teachers, some people have come into that church and we're spreading lies and rumors about Paul. 
Hey, he doesn't care about you. That's why he left. And he's hearing now, you guys aren't believing that. Praise God for that. And he longs to go back to them. He's encouraged because of their faith. He says now, I love this phrase, now we really live. For Paul, he was sitting there just praying for them. God, I hope that they're doing well. And he hears they are. They're following Christ. They're growing as a church. And there's some part of Paul that becomes alive because of that. And as I read that, I thought, man, do we have that same joy in fellow believers? If we see a believer growing in their faith or someone coming to know the Lord, like, does our heart just beat a little bit faster? Do we say, praise God, I'm in a tough situation. Something's not going great in my life, but I'm hearing what God is doing in someone else. And I rejoice in that. Now, Paul's still concerned for them. Verse 10, he wants to go back. He's praying that he would be able to go back and help them grow in their faith. And in fact, in the rest of the letter, chapter, chapters 4 and 5, he's going to deal with some things that I think he's talking about here, supply what is lacking in your faith. They still need to learn. They still need to grow. And he would love to go back and talk to them about these things. I don't want to spend any more time in these. There's a lot here, but we've talked about all these themes in the previous weeks leading up to this. And I want to spend time in verses 11 through 13, but I just, I don't want to skip over this. Notice Paul's love again for the Thessalonians. This was not just a box that he checked. Yep, went to Thessalonica, preached it. Some people accepted, some didn't. Moving on, I don't care. I did my good deed for the day. He loved these people. He cared about them. He was concerned for them and wanted them to grow in their faith. And so now the the whole first part of the letter has been about his care and his concern for them, what God did in the Thessalonians, Paul's care as he was separated for them, sending Timothy, Timothy's report. And now he's ending the first part of this letter with a prayer or a benediction or a blessing. And it's amazing the things that he's going to pray for in verses 11 through 13. And the first thing that really sticks out to me is that love in action requires a big view of God. Look at how he starts his prayer in verse 11. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. So he's going to pray a blessing on them. He's going to specifically pray that their love would increase and overflow and that God would strengthen them so that they would be blameless and holy as they look forward to Christ's return. But he starts by addressing God the Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a a famous quote from a French author. I'm going to butcher his name. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, I think. He's the author of The Little Prince. If anybody knows how to say that better, don't tell me. Let me think I'm okay. But he has, this is such a great quote. Love does not consist of gazing at each other, but in looking outward together in the same direction. When we come together and we say, what do you want? Well, I'll love you and what you want. This is what I want. You love me and what I want. Let's always find out what everybody wants. That's everybody looking at each other. And it can look very nice and loving for a while. But if we would all lift our gaze and have a big view of who God is and his purpose, and we would focus there, then all of our wants and desires take on a new shape, and they conform to who God is and what he wants for us. 
And I would argue, and I think Paul's saying here, that's what leads to a real, true love and action in God's people in the church. We must have a big view of God. Paul's praying that he could come back and visit them, but he's addressing that prayer to God the Father and to the Lord Jesus, saying, clear the way for us to come back. He believes that God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ has sovereignty over human events so that he will clear the way for Paul and his colleagues to go back. He starts by addressing God and Father, the first person of the Trinity, creator and source and ruler and of, of all life and all authority. Paul uses a, a phrase in Ephesians 3.14. He talks about, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family, which is literally every fatherhood in heaven and on earth, derives its name. And he's saying all authority in the world derives its source from God the Father. So as he's praying that he could go and visit them, he's saying God has authority over all authority. So he's praying to God the Father to clear the way. And then he says, our Lord Jesus Christ. And and I think we've gotten so common with this word Lord. Lord Jesus, Lord bless me, Lord this, Lord that. And, And sometimes we fail to understand that the word Lord means sovereign ruler. So when he addresses Jesus, he's addressing him as they would address a king, someone in command, Lord Jesus. Paul understands and writes in many other places that Jesus Christ is ruling in the seat of heaven with all authority over every government, over every earthly structure, over every situation. Jesus Christ is ruling as Lord. And so he's praying to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, clear the way that I might come to the Thessalonians. Next, he's going to pray for their love and how they treat one another. But in order to do that, we have to first have a big picture of who God is. It is so easy in this world to get apathetic and hopeless. It is so easy to look at situations, difficult situations, whether it's what Paul was facing or anything in your own life, and to just say, oh, why bother? Nothing matters anymore. Nothing's going to change anything. But we are commanded as Christians to have an abundant, growing, and overflowing love for one another. That's really hard in an apathetic, hopeless world. But we have to start here with a big view of who God is. Because if God truly is God as he presents himself in scripture, then nothing is ever hopeless or helpless. Even the ability to love one another in what so often is a loveless and difficult world. So as we go on now, he's going to address more specifically this idea of love. And I've titled this, Love in Action Requires an Understanding of Christian Love. Because I really think as Christians, we need to be more careful to define what we mean by love. And by that, I mean, what does the Bible say is love? Because definitions change over time. They adapt to situations. Sometimes they lose their original meanings. We want to know what Christian love is. Now, this is such a big topic. We're going to talk about holiness next. That's also such a big topic. Those are sermons in and of themselves. 
But I want to look at how Paul deals with them together. So look at 1 Thessalonians 3.12. He says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. So he addresses several different venues or avenues of love. One is your love for one another. He says, your love for everyone else. And he holds up an example, his love and his colleagues' love for the Thessalonians, which has been a big uh, subject for the rest of this letter. But what is this love that Paul speaks of? How do we define it? How do we get to exactly what kind of love he's talking about? 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 helps us to define what we mean by a biblical Christian love. Apostle John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So right there we have the beginning of the definition. Whatever our definition of love is, it must be defined by who God is and what God has done. It has to start there or it's not a biblical Christian love. To know what love is, is to know the author of love and to accept his definition and to conform to that definition. So what does that kind of love look like? Verses 9 through 11, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. A fundamental key point of a biblical understanding of love is that it is always a sacrificial love. It is looking at the other person and saying they have a need. They have something in their life that is their greatest need. And we know what that is from scripture. It is their relationship with God, their creator. That is the greatest, most fundamental need. So if we love someone in such a way that never addresses their need to be restored in the right relationship with God, we don't have a full and biblical love for them. God didn't just look down from heaven and say, oh, man, you guys are really messing up, but I love you and I just want you to be happy. So let me help you to find some ways to be happy. He looked down and he said, you are lost, helpless, hopeless, dead in sin. Let me send my son to die in the place for you. That's a biblical love. God's greatest act of love, which sets the standard for all other acts of love and definitions of love, is a love that sacrifices for us to meet our greatest need to be restored to the God who created us. This means that Christian love is always gospel-focused and gospel-driven. The gospel is the the very simple good news that we were dead in our sins, but God has saved us through his son's death, burial, and resurrection. And so as we love others, we say, that's what I want to show this person. That's what I want to point them to. I want to demonstrate it in my life. I want to demonstrate that truth in how I treat them. I want to proclaim that truth to them because I love them. And I want them to know the love of Christ in their own life. So looking back at 1 Thessalonians 3.12, this is the kind of love that Paul's praying for. 
I want you to love each other in the church in this way. I want you to have this kind of love for others. In fact, he says, I want you to increase and overflow in this love. So if you ever get to the point, you go, I'm a pretty loving person. I think I'm good. I've arrived. Listen to those two words, increase and overflow. Because nobody has ever filled up that definition of love. We're never done increasing and overflowing in our love for other people. We always need to keep on growing in love and never stop showing love to other people. And who are they called to love? He starts by saying each other. And that means to Paul, other Christians. That's absolutely what it means. He's talking about Christians in the church, loving other Christians in the church. Throughout scripture, Our relationship with people saved by Jesus Christ is is this crucible, this testing and proving ground, this educational system for us to learn how to love and grow in love. It is also a demonstration to the world that when they see how we love one another, they say, I've never seen anything like that. And we can say, yeah, it's not us. We can't do that. God has showed us this love. Let me tell you about what God has done for us. So he says how you love one another. But he also says that they should increase and overflow in love for everyone else. This one's a little bit more difficult. He might be talking about other Christians outside of Thessalonica, or he might be talking about just people in the world in general that aren't Christians at all. The good news is it doesn't matter too much what he's talking about here because both are found in scripture. So both are very true. I think more than likely he's talking about those outside the church. Because the principles that were stated earlier still apply. To love those, even those that disagree with us, in a way that demonstrates the love of Jesus Christ, points people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, loves them in such a way that we say, let me tell you about Jesus that saves you. That is a gospel-focused love, even for those that won't accept it even for those that might even persecute us because we want to love them in that way. And that doesn't mean we go out and we slap them in the face and beat them up over the head. It means we display and point to Jesus Christ because we can't change anybody. Only Jesus can. And love, Christian, godly, biblical love is a powerful tool in pointing other people to Jesus Christ. And finally, Paul says, this is how he loved them. He says, look at the example I've given you. Look at the the legacy Paul has given them. And I hope that you've had some people like that in your life. That you can say, man, they love me with a God-focused love. And praise God for that. We must allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to define our love. Not our own desires, not the desires of those around us. Love in action, Christian biblical love in action, defines love according to God's standard. And we see this especially in what Paul says next. Because the next thing that we must accept is that love in action requires us to understand holiness. Ew, holiness. What a heavy, weighty, judgmental Christian word holiness. And it seems so contrary to talk about holiness in the context of love. 
Our world defines love by what someone wants and affirming what they want. But holiness raises our eyes to the standard of God and the purity that he wants for us. It seems the opposite of love. But look at verse 13. Paul says in this prayer, as he's just prayed for their love, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. They need God to give them strength to accept and live out what Paul is saying here in this verse. The goal is to be blameless and holy before God when Christ returns. Not to be personally fulfilled or happy, but to be blameless and holy. And can I just tell you an important truth? If we are created by God, And he knows us more than we know ourselves. He knows our purpose on this earth. He longs for us to be with him forever and ever. Our happiness and fulfillment will never be as rich as it is when it is defined according to what God wants for us. So ultimately, our personal happiness and finding holiness through Jesus Christ and living in relationship with God are not nearly as contrary as we may think. God has called us to be holy. Well, what does it mean to be holy? First, we have to define it God's way. Isaiah 6, 3, this comes up again in Revelation. There's this image of the throne room of heaven, and there are these heavenly angelic beings, and they're hanging out in the very presence of God, and they are calling out over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What's our standard of holiness? It's God. It's his nature, his character. And the display of God's holiness is his glory going out into all the world. So we have to define, just as we did with love, we need to define holiness according to God, not according to our own desires. So what does it mean to be holy? The word holy literally means set apart. To be different. And so we take this and we say, okay, this is the way I want to live, the way I want to think. Uh, As a Christian, sometimes we say this is the way I used to think or I want to think, or maybe this is the way the world thinks. And we think, I need to be set apart. I'm going to go a different way and do a different thing. And that's good, but it's partial. Because holy means set apart for a purpose. Set apart for a Purpose. So it's not just, look how great I am because I'm different than them. It's, I have a purpose in my life. Therefore, I'm not going to do those things. Set apart for a purpose. It's like a surgical tool that you don't pick up out of the operating room in the middle of an operation and say to the surgeon, excuse me, can I borrow this? Then you go into the restroom down the hall to unclog the, unclog the drain with it. Because that utensil, that scalpel or whatever it is, it's set apart for a purpose. That's surgery. It's not meant for plumbing. Set apart for a purpose. So what is the purpose for which we are to be set apart 
First Peter chapter one, verses 13 to 15. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, keep your heart, or I'm sorry, keep your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So holiness means I'm going to set myself apart from certain things that I might follow, obey, worship, and glorify God so that others too could see who God is and the change that God has made in my life, not my change, but God's change, and they could come to know Jesus as their Savior as well. Holiness means that we can't just keep doing things in our own way. And praying for God to bless it. Holiness means I give up my way. And I'm going to trust where God my Father is leading me. And in Christ, we're brought into that new relationship with God. The old self is crucified, buried, and gone. We are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Now we're called to live differently because of that. Being holy is being set apart for a purpose. As Christians to say, we live here on a mission for Jesus Christ. And there are things in our life, in our thinking, our attitudes, the way that we treat other people inside and outside the church that are out of line with our new identity in Jesus Christ. And we want to bring those before the Lord and say, God, I give it to you. Take that out of my life. Purify me from that. But we need help. We can't do it on our own. That's why Paul prays in 1 Thessalonians 13 that God will strengthen their hearts. This is not easy. It's not, oh, you're doing that, just stop it. And then let people go on their way living with all the guilt because they can't overcome something. It's bringing them before the Lord, showing them through Scripture what God wants, praying with them, walking beside them, helping them in those dark times, saying, you're not alone. Call out to me. Reach out to me, and I'll pray with you during that time. I'll show up on your doorstep and be there as you're struggling with something that you want to stop in your life. We need our hearts to be strengthened. We need, as Christians, to understand and focus on holiness. And we need to understand that showing love to other people inside and outside the church requires personal holiness. Paul's going to write more about this in chapter 4. He's going to talk about their holiness. They need to live differently than the world. He's also going to go on and talk more about their love. But here he's putting these two things together. And there's one more thing before I close that I want to point out. Because love in action includes both love and holiness. In fact, love and action combines love and holiness together. Look at how Paul prays here. And I've switched the scripture version. I've been preaching out of uh, the NIV. That's what I normally use. But ESV, English Standard Version, has this better. I'm not a big one to like say one version is like, so much better than others. They're all tools. And in this case, this is a better tool for this verse. There's two little words that, that make a huge difference here. He says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. And in the NIV, it's period, new sentence. But in ESV captures the Greek so much better here. He says, so that, so that. So he says, abound in love so that something will happen. 
And the thing that will happen is that God may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. What Paul is saying here is that our holiness requires love. And true Christian love will lead us into holiness and that without that kind of love, we will not be holy no matter how correct we think we are. Love and holiness are connected. Which is so hard because we see love and holiness as opposites, battling against one another. We say holiness is being separate, set apart for a purpose. And some churches, some Christians, they really emphasize holiness. And they show that they're so holiness but all, by all the things they hate in the world. They show their hate for anyone different than them. They pick at funerals. They wave signs. They point at people and tell them how horrible they are. And aren't they so holy as Christians? Others focus on love. They think they're so great at love because they accept everyone without ever saying that anything or anyone is ever wrong. They approve of every lifestyle, every action, every personal choice, and they call themselves loving. So we have these two polar opposite extremes, and it's almost like we can feel as Christians, well, I guess we just have to pick one. Either we're going to be loving or we're going to be holy. Clearly, I can't be both. And yet Paul says that our holiness depends on our love, and that in some way our love comes out of our holiness. True Christian love and true Christian holiness are connected and dependent on one another. If we are truly holy, then we are set apart for God's purpose, which is to reach out in love to others so that they can be saved. So our holiness should be demonstrated through our love for other people. And if we're truly loving, then we will want what is best for people and point them to God, His glory, His plan for their life, and especially His salvation that He offers through His Son, Jesus Christ. Love and holiness together. There's so much error, I believe, among Christians today because we think that we have to pick one, either love or holiness. A true biblical understanding of these two things means that they go together. And let me tell you, it is not easy. Loving someone and treating them in a way that is both loving and holy is hard. Which is why Paul is praying for these people that God would strengthen them and help them in this. We need to put our love in action. Paul ends this chapter in verse 13 by talking about when Christ will return. Because in that day when Christ comes and all the world's powers, all the world's opinions, all the world's ideas are put in proper perspective to Jesus Christ who will reign forever, in that moment we will see, I believe, that love and holiness is what we were called to all along. And in that moment, are we going to stand up and say, but God, I was holy in my own way, or I was loving in my own way? Or are we going to bow before his throne and say, I submit to your love and your holiness? So as we close today, I want us to think about this first section of 1 Thessalonians. 
and ask ourselves some hard questions. Do we truly love each other? In a biblical way, do we love one another? Do we have a love that is based on and is growing in a big view of who God is? Or is it just our own ideas? Do we have a true biblical love, a gospel-focused, gospel-shaped love? And are we growing in this love, which requires growing in our faith and knowledge and understanding of God and his work in our lives? And then are we letting this love overflow in our lives and how we treat people and how we point them to Jesus Christ? And as a part of that, do we value and seek holiness? Say, there's a purpose that God has called us to in this world. And we need to be set apart for that purpose because we love those people so much. We want to demonstrate the character and nature of God in our life. Always imperfectly, but in such a way that God can use us as an example to reach out in love to others and bring them into salvation through his son, Jesus. My prayer is that we will live a true biblical Christian love in action, not just inwardly and in our thoughts, but in how we speak to and about others, how we treat them, how we interact with them, whether they treat us the same way or not. Will we keep on putting our love in action? Because friends, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Let's pray. Father, living out a biblical Love and action in this world is difficult. It's easier to change our definition of love or it's easier to just give up on it altogether and just point fingers and yell and scream and shout. That's not what we're called to. And that's not what demonstrates, demonstrates the grace that has saved us and the love that you've shown to us. So I pray, Father, First, that we, each one here, would accept your love for us and your call to be saved through your son, Jesus Christ, raised to new life, holy living in you. And then, Father, change how we demonstrate love to one another and to those even outside this church. That we would not just live for our own agendas, or our own desires, but point others to your son, Jesus Christ, who is the living embodiment of both love and holiness. In your name we pray. Amen.